pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather. We thank you, Father, that your word is living and active. I pray would you open our minds and our hearts that we may hear the word that you have for us this morning. And Father, would we be transformed by it. We thank you and we praise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, it is good to be with you. Now, some of you might be going, eh, who's that guy? Um, many of you I know, some of you I do not. I spent a lot of time in Archgate. My name is Father Travis Wilson, and I am our director of family ministry here at Christ Church. And it is a joy, an honor, and a privilege to be with you all this morning. As I was preparing the sermon for this morning, I continually to find myself amazed. The gospel reading in Matthew 11, 25 to 30 is one of the most familiar passages growing up that I heard over and over and over. And yet, as I was preparing this message, I found myself in awe. In awe of God's word, in awe of God's goodness, in awe of the good news that Christ presents to us today in this passage. But before I can really dive in, my seminary professor, Dr. Erica Moore, would be furious with me if I did not provide a little bit of context. Dr. Moore would say, context is king. And I'll tell you, it was actually as I was looking at the context of this passage that the Lord's invitation to come transformed how I saw and what it meant for me. So I hope it does for you as well. Matthew 11 begins with John the Baptist being in prison. And it is from prison that John sends his disciples out to Jesus to inquire, to make sure that, hey, you're the Messiah, right? You, you are the one that we've been waiting for? I mean, can you blame John the Baptist? All, what he knew was that he was to prepare the way for the Messiah, that the one who would come after him would be greater than he could ever imagine. And yet, John finds himself in prison cell on the way to being beheaded. So you can imagine why John would be going, just to be clear, you're the guy, right? And I love what Jesus and how Jesus responds. Jesus looks at John's disciples and he points out and he gives this list, this list that can be found in Malachi 4, this list of the kingdom breaking in, the deaf being able to hear, the mute being able to speak, the dead being raised. In other words, Jesus pointing to these miracles and these signs and saying, look, a greater thing is coming. The Messiah has come and I am bringing my kingdom to bear in this world. Do you see the signs? Jesus then goes on to rebuke all the different cities that he had performed these great signs and these great miracles. Why? Because every one of these cities failed to comprehend who he is and what it meant for him to be the Messiah. It's on the heels of this rebuke that Jesus declares our passage this morning in verse 25 to 30. This morning, friends, I have the wonderful pleasure and privilege of talking to you about true rest. 
And how true rest is a gift from God for you and for me, for the sake of the world. But before we can even remotely get to talking about true rest, we have to begin by looking at verse 28. So if you turn to your Bibles, look at verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So before we can talk about rest, I need to talk about what it means for us to, be, to labor and be heavy laden. What causes this? Well, in order to talk about that, we need to go way back. You see, if we go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created this beautiful world and everything in it. And at the center of his creation, he placed humanity, Adam and Eve. And what was the task of Adam and Eve? It was to steward the creation as they bore God's image to the world. As he joined them in naming all of creation. It was this beautiful outflow as Adam and Eve existed in relationship with the triune God. They bore the love and the grace and the mercy and the goodness and beauty of that God to all of creation. Well, we're all sitting in church, so we know it did not go so well. Rather than bearing God's image to the world, rather than remaining and abiding in beautiful love and relationship, humanity rejected God. We said, we've got this. We don't need to multiply your image, we'll multiply our own. Instead of the beauty and the goodness of God being multiplied throughout the creation, Instead, the distorted and broken and fallen image of humanity begins to bring death and decay to all of creation. You see, the fall was so devastating because it severed the relationship between God and man. And not only that, it severed the relationship between humanity and humanity, Adam and Eve. Just look, it only takes one generation we have our first murder, Cain and Abel. And not only did it sever our relationship between one another, it severed our relationship between us and creation. It was devastating. Brothers and sisters, we labor and are heavy laden because we live and we labor in a world that is marked by sin and death. Church, we labor and are heavy laden because our souls long for the one in whose image we were created to bear. The good thing is, is we're in good company. In the fourth century, St. Augustine I mean, hear these words of St. Augustine. This is how he confesses his sin. But my sin was this, that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in him, but in myself and in his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. 
Now, Augustine was a brilliant rhetorician and philosopher of his day. He had access to every pleasure that you can imagine. He had pursued every philosophy of his day, and he found them wanting. This was a man who had all the titles, all the accolades, all the access that you can imagine, and yet found himself, his soul, weary and heavy laden because he could not find his purpose. He could not find his meaning. What is this all for? To what end? And the beautiful thing is that St. Augustine hears the invitation of Jesus come. And as he's sitting below a tree, St. Augustine would give his life to Jesus and he would go on to write probably one of the most profound truths recorded in church history. He would say, thou hast made thy for thyself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Brothers and sisters, true rest comes from God alone. It is a rest that transcends situations or circumstances. It's not like, look, I'm a dad of three. I've got a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. I would love a nap every once in a while. But that's not the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about here. That's not the kind of rest that he's inviting us into. Rather, the kind of rest that God is inviting us into is a kind of rest that comes from God alone. I mean, after all, his rest predates the fall. Think about Genesis 2. Hear this. Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The rest of God isn't a rest that comes from sin or brokenness or lack or need. No, God rests as he steps back and beholds the beautiful thing that he has created. And he's able to, without lack or without any need, purely behold its beauty and enjoy it. He is whole. He is whole. It is this very rest. It is this very rest that Jesus invites you and I into. You see, in my early 20s, I was lost. I had absolutely pursued the world. For me, it was hiding behind titles and positions because if I had the right title and if I had the right position, it meant that I had value. It meant that I was wanted. It meant that I, people needed me. And so I put my trust in those things. I put my trust in relationships. If I just, had, if I just got married, if I just had that relationship, then, then I would be good. And here I am, 22, I've graduated, I've got my dream job, youngest branch director of the Boys and Girls Club, overseeing five sites, and man, I think, this is good. I'm dating a girl that I think I'm gonna propose to, and I think I am awesome. 
On the surface, it looks like it. Inside, miserable. Inside, the best way to describe it, it was my soul was weary and heavy laden. I was so busy trying to bear all these other faces that I had no idea what my face even looked like. And it was in that moment, it was in that place that, the G, that Jesus would invite me to come and rest in him. And for me, what that looked like was a call into full-time ministry. Now that's not what it means for every one of you. It might mean for you, a call. we're all called a full-time ministry. Can I get an amen? amen? But this, for me, was a particular way. You see, I had been volunteering with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which was basically to become a full-time on-campus missionary to the colleges and universities. Big caveat, though, was you had to fundraise. I didn't want to fundraise. I didn't go get my degree and have all these titles to fundraise. But the Lord, being the Lord, convicted me and he said, Travis, fear is not a justifiable reason to say no. You don't think that I can make you whole, but I can and I will, but you have to trust me. And so I said yes, and I left the Boys and Girls Club to join InterVarsity staff. And let's be clear, y'all, I thought I was God's gift to InterVarsity. I mean, Jesus talks about being gentle and lowly of heart. I was not. But in his mercy and in his grace, he met me. You see, I thought, here's how cocky I was, okay? You know, they started everyone and said, hey, you had to raise 55,000. That was what you had to raise. Well, I said, guys, do you know who I am? Why don't you bump that number up to 72? I got this in spades. So I thought, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be the best InterVarsity staff. I'm going to raise the most money. And I'm going to propose to the girl that I'm dating. And Well, God has a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. Can I get an amen? How many of you know that God has a sense of humor? Right? Three months into it, I'm 27% funded. I've had to move into my parents' 55 and up trailer and live in their living room on the bed that I won my freshman year of college on Price is Right. <laughs> and of course, to make matters worse, my supervisor at the time says, Travis, why don't you and I commit to no media after seven? And me pursuing this call said, of course, that sounds great. Problem. One week later, I get dumped. So now I'm broken up with, I've committed to the, not having any media after seven, and I'm living in my parents' 55-up trailer in their living room, and I'm going, what am I to do? It was probably one of the most painful and difficult seasons of my life. In that same span, in that same year, I'd be hospitalized. That's another story for another time. But you know what? Since I had no media, I began to find his word again. And every night I'd be in his word. And he would bring different mentors into my life. People like Brendan Manning, people like Dallas Willard, Pete Cassero. 
And I would just be reading these amazing authors, these amazing Christians, and I'd be reading God's word. And as I did, all of a sudden, God began to strip away the idols in my heart and in my life. Strip away the titles and all these things that I thought are where my value came from. And he began to declare over me, you are loved. Rest and live and be from that place. Rest in my love, Travis. For the first time in my life, I felt whole. For the first time in my life, I felt complete. Still wasn't fully funded. Still was definitely single at the time. Still was coming back from a really bad sickness. And yet I felt whole. That is the kind of rest that Jesus offers us. That's the kind of rest that he offers you. The beautiful thing is, if you look at verses 27, it's easy to miss because we want to jump right to 28, but you don't get 28 without 27. In verse 27, it explains that the fa- no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father. But thank God for our beautiful grammatical friend, and. Look at the and in verse 27. And everyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. What God has done in Christ has entered into our brokenness, entered into our sin. He has initiated and said, I want to restore this relationship. I want to make us whole again. And the only way that you can be made whole is in and through me. And so right after verse 27, and I'd love just, just close your eyes with me for a moment. Close your eyes with me in a moment. I know this is weird, but it's okay. Close your eyes with me. And can you imagine Jesus saying to the disciples, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I imagine him with his arms open, looking with compassion, saying, come, would you come? Would you come? You can open your eyes now. Would you come? Can you see it? Oh, I can see it. And the beautiful thing about this invitation to come is he says, come, take my yoke upon you for I, and learn from me for I am gentle, gentle and lowly in heart and I will give you rest. Rest for what? Rest for your souls. What does it mean for us to take the yoke of Christ upon us? I mean, what is, what is light or easy about the burden that Christ is going to bear? I mean, he bears the cross. And yet, we have to remember who it is that he is. This is Jesus. This is the very word of God who was with the Father and the Spirit at the beginning of time, who beheld and through his word brought all things into being, that everything was made in him, everything was made by him. This is a God who takes out of the chaos and brings order 
that brings creation out of nothing, that brings life from death. So what is the cross to such a great God? Jesus is able to say, come, take my yoke upon you because he has taken our burden. He has taken our sin, our death, and he took it with him to the cross so that we might have life in him. So what is this new yoke? You see, in the Old Testament, the yoke of Israel was the Torah. The way that Israel was to make God and reveal God to the world was through the law. But Israel failed. The burden was too heavy. Or at least it looks on the surface. Because praise God, in Christ, he comes in fulfillment of Israel. And rather than law, you and I are given Christ. And what it means to have his yoke means that we have been restored of our original vocation to bear God's image to the world to reveal the Son and the Father to the world. That is the yoke that you and I have been given. Every week we review this yoke. So what does it look like, right? Practically, what does that look like? Every week we talk about it. Father Jonathan had already talked about it. We open up every service with the summary of the law. And what is the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two laws hang, upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To love God with our whole heart, to love neighbor as self, that is the picture of shalom. That is the picture of wholeness, of peace, of God's goodness. And it is to that end that God gives to us in Christ the ability to live in that kind of rest. It is from love that we love well. We have, uh, in our household with my girls, we have our, our Wilson family rules. And our Wilson family rules go like this. Listen and obey. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt others. Why? Because you're a Wilson and Wilson's love well. Why? Because he first loved us. May we be a church that finds our rest, that brings our burdens to Jesus. May we experience his love, his wholeness, and his rest. And we, may we be a people that brings that love wholeness and rest to a world that is desperate for it. And so, brothers and sisters, I close with this. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come, and the Lord will give you rest for your souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.